Uh, I'm going to read to you from God's Word. We're reading from the book of Ecclesiastes and we're at the end of chapter 3 and all of chapter 4 we're going to read this morning. Uh, for those who are at home and you don't know what's going on, there is a church crisis happening right now. We can't find a little table for me to put my water on. That's a significant issue. Let me... T- oh, Simon, thank you. It's a little bit more that way. Just back to it. No, I go. Thank you. Thanks. There's our pastoral staff. Book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, and we're reading from verse 16. This is where we got up to last week. <clears throat> Solomon says, And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there and I said to myself God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked for there will be a time for every activity a time to judge every deed I said to myself as for humans God tests them uh, so that they may see that they are like animals surely the fate of humans beings is like the animals the same fate awaits them both As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust and to dust all return. Who knows if human spirit rises upward and if the spirit of animal goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work because that is their lot. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them? Again, I looked and I saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors and they have no comforter. And I declare that the dead who, are already, who had already died are happier than the living who are still alive. But better than both is the one who has never been born, who has not seen the evil that is under the sun. And I saw that all the toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, chasing after the wind. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. And yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labour. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. How can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Better a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer knows how to heed a warning. The youth may have come from prison to the kingship or he may have been born in poverty within his kingdom. I saw that all who lived and walked under the sun followed the youth, the king's successor. There was no end to all the people who were before them. But those who came later were not pleased with their successor. This too is meaningless. 
a chasing after the wind. It's a portion of God's word and he has a truth in it for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would minister to us by your spirit, that you would open our eyes to understand exactly what you're saying through Solomon about life and about what's the best way for us to live it. Uh, Lord, give us ears to hear, hearts to receive all your truth, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Wonderful passage, isn't it? The reality is it just gets worse the further we go. This is the fun bit of the book of Ecclesiastes. Wait till we get into chapters 6, 7 and 8. Life really does take a dive then, I tell you. I encourage you to read through the book of Ecclesiastes and you will find in it that he is a person who is reflecting on life and he's particularly got this phrase, life under the sun, which is distinguished, as I said last week, from life under the heavens. Life under the sun is a life that's in this life on the horizontal plane which seeks to live without any awareness of or acknowledgement of God. Tries to make sense of life by... We try, they try to make sense by themselves. Um, back in the 1400s... Let me turn this on. Something's missing. There it is. Uh, my notes are in the wrong order. Let's have fun. Back in the 1400s, there was a coin, and on the back of the coin was an inscription of... of uh, a diagram of the Rock of Gibraltar and an inscription around it which said, no more beyond this. It's the end of the world, as far as you go. The map makers back in those days, when they drew the maps of the known world at that point, on the edge of the map they would write, dragons dwell here. No more beyond this. Until some brave souls ventured beyond in the 1400s, followed by other discoverers who opened up the world, who found other countries and other nations and so on. And the Spanish government changed the inscription on the back of the coin so that it no longer read, no more beyond this. They simply removed the no more beyond this. That's what Solomon is saying in the book of Ecclesiastes. There's more to life than this life. There is more beyond this. And he's writing at the end of his life, but he's writing particularly to people who don't have that perspective. He's writing to sceptics and to humanist, secular-minded people who try to live life on this plane and try to make sense of it. And Solomon asks the hard questions. The book is hard to read because it confronts us with the things that we don't like to talk about. There are some topics that we just choose to avoid. Solomon's thesis is, from last week, that God is the God who is in control... He has appointed a time and a season for every activity, either that will happen to us or that we will be involved in and in doing. And that God has placed eternity in our hearts. And he is the God who is at work, just like in the song we sang, who is fitting things together. I want to talk a little bit more about that today. See if I can find where I did with that slide. Last week, life as a gift comes from God. We receive it from him. Life as a test Therefore, we should relate to God in this life. It's a test, as we'll come to in a verse this morning, what God is doing. And life is, has an exam at the end of it. We report to him. That's what he said in verse 15. And he cycles around to say the same thing again this morning. Not sure if you like to do jigsaw puzzles. It depends on my mood. But life is like a jigsaw puzzle. Accidents happen in our life. Stuff just happens. 
Even for those of us who walk with God, there are still things that just happen and we don't know why. And sometimes it's helpful to think of life as a jigsaw puzzle and we're just a piece of it. And a piece by itself doesn't make much sense. It's weird, it's got different colours and shapes that don't... Just by looking at it, you can't figure it out. What you need to do, of course, is to see what? The whole picture. You need to see the cover. There are two ways to do a jigsaw puzzle, isn't there? I don't know how you do them. This is how I do them, and this is usually as far as I ever get. I don't have the patience. But you take all of the jigsaw pieces, you turn the box upside down, and you put them face side up. Then you separate the ones with the straight edges, don't you? Is that what you do? See, there are clues. You take the edges, and then it still doesn't help. If you don't have the picture, you cannot still put that thing together. You can try, and I don't know if you're like me, but I can make those pieces fit, even where they're not supposed to. <laughs> Two ways to do a jigsaw puzzle is take all of the pieces and try to put it together yourself, or you look at the picture and you let the picture guide you in trying to understand the pieces. The picture to life is in God's mind. He has the picture. He's the only one who sees the picture. We're a piece of the jigsaw puzzle. And just like when you do a jigsaw puzzle and you can see this bit and all the different colours and markings on it and so on, it just looks weird. It's not until you put the piece in the big picture of the jigsaw puzzle that suddenly the shape and all the weirdness disappears and you see the picture, don't you? You don't see the shapes anymore or the idiosyncrasies of it, you see the big picture. Well, that's the perspective that Solomon is wanting to bring to the people that he is talking to. There are clues, and if we take the clues that God gives us in Scripture and that he's given us in sending his son, the Lord Jesus, into the world, that helps life make sense. Not completely. There are still things in life that are a mystery and that are stupid, that are hurtful, and that we don't understand why. Why did God allow that answer? We don't know. You have to learn to live with it, and you live trusting him. That you are the one who was appointed to time and season for everything, and you're working things out, and what looks absolutely terrible, in fact, is working for good. What was the name of that movie yesterday, sweetheart, that we saw? Thanks for sharing. Uh, can't remember, but it's got Queen Latifah in it. And she gets missed... Huh? Last Holiday. Have you seen Last Holiday? Go home and whatever you do, Netflix it or something. It's a terrific movie. It's a chick flick. Guys, you'll get brownie points for doing it, I tell you. She's been misdiagnosed as having a... I can't tell you, can I? Because if you're going to go and watch it... It's a good movie. It illustrates this talk very, very well. You're going to go and watch it? Otherwise, I'll tell you the movie. She's been misdiagnosed and she starts living life. And all through the movie, she talks to God. Why did you allow this to happen? So she goes on a very expensive holiday. She's got all of her savings. She thinks she's got three weeks to live, so she blows the lot. She does the things that she would not normally do. And through it all, she keeps turning to God. And then she goes, even goes to the uh, casino and she wins $100,000 on Black 17, I think it is. And it happens three times. That's like unbelievable. And she just looks up and says, thank you. And then she finds out that, you know, she writes a letter and she's dying and she says, I don't want to die. And then she's got a boyfriend and he's coming from America and yada yada and goes, oh, it's a chick flick, it goes on forever. And at the end of the movie, 
all of the things that were bad that happened. There's an avalanche and there's an accident and bad things are happening through the movie. But through the whole story, it's coming together and you can see it coming like this. And she looks up at the end of the movie and she says, thank you. Things that were bad and things that were happening that didn't make sense at the time ended up making sense. That's what Ecclesiastes is trying to teach us. That if we look at it just in this life, and we can't do it any other way, except by faith in his word, in what he has said to us. Well, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. Told you about that one. Some clues as you read through Ecclesiastes is Solomon often says, and I saw. He's writing down an observation of what he observed in life. And then he follows that with, did I do that? Then he follows that with a statement of, and I said, or I declared. So look for his observations and look for then his conclusions that he gives. Sometimes he'll make observations and ask questions and not give an answer. Other times, like in this passage, he will give an answer. Sometimes immediately, sometimes he'll build to something which is coming. And he does both in this passage before us this morning. It's when we walk with God that even in the midst of struggles, it helps us to cope with what life deals, with what God has ordained, if you like, up for us. This is a repeat. I used exactly the same heading as last week because in Solomon, it's like going around a mountain and you have this view, beautiful view of the valley or whatever. You go around the mountain or around a corner and you have another view from a different angle. That's what he does in Ecclesiastes. He cycles around to the several of the same topics and issues, but he looks at it from different angles, from different perspectives. Uses the same truth or point, but uses a different illustration. This one, verse 16, he says, Life is unfair. I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness. I went to court, supposed to turn out right, and it didn't. There was wickedness there, corruption in high places, things going wrong, um, evil being rewarded and good things being punished. We have this inbuilt, innate sense of fairness. We get it from being a kid. We know what's right and what's wrong. We know what's fair and what's not fair. What happens when you're at the checkout at the supermarket and you're next in line and somebody comes and stands in front of you? How do you feel? That's not fair. Or getting served in a shop. You ever been one of those people where you go to stores and there's like three or four people all lined up and the person who's selling you can't tell which one is first or second. Now it's the honour system. Who's next? Have you had the experience with some people barging? How do you feel? Well, that's when you pray prayers of intercession. You pray for them. God will strike them dead right now. <laughs> Don't you? I may have sometimes. Which is another point that we'll come to in a moment. But Solomon answers this one. Life is unfair. See, we like the story of Cinderella because it turns out well. We can cope with the story of Humpty Dumpty. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. We're okay with that story because there is no cause. How did he fall off the wall? Who pushed him? Who is to blame? We're not told so we can live with sadness. Something went wrong and we don't know why. We can live with that. But when there is unfairness, if one of those ugly sisters had got the this sort of glass slipper in Cinderella, that would not be right. And we all respond the same way. Life is unfair. 
And for some people, life is a series of unfairness. Well, what happens? Well, verse 17, he tells us, I said to myself, conclusion, God will bring everything into judgment, both the righteous and the wicked. There will be a time for every activity under heaven for a judge. Injustice, unfairness is in this world, but it's temporary. It's not here forever. God will bring an end. I better hasten. God has appointed a day of judgment when he will bring everything, every word, every secret, every motive into account. He moves on. Life is temporary. This is a strange passage which you have to wrestle with. But he basically says humans are no better off than animals and we're exactly like animals. And why? They breathe, they die, that same thing happens. And in fact, our evolutionist friends would say that, you know, we, uh, they wouldn't say we're descended from apes, but they were, have a common ancestor. But as one wise, witty person once said, to say that humankind descended from apes is an insult to the apes. That's Solomon's point. We're like the animals. Sometimes we're worse. There's a viciousness inside of us. And that only comes out when we are wronged, but it's there. And that's what verse 18 is saying. As for human, God tests them so that they may see that they are like animals god allows corruption and bad things to happen in our world to reveal what are you like what's in your heart so that you become aware of i am flawed and sinful and i need god's forgiveness that's one of the reasons that solomon gives us and that's one of the reasons um, why god allows these things to happen why doesn't god end it all now why does it have to go on and on and on well Life is temporary. God will bring it to an end. And he says finally at the end of the chapter, verse 21, 22, that life is uncertain. So I say there's nothing better for a person to do. Enjoy your work while you can. That's your lot. For who can see what's coming in the future? We don't know. We want to know the future, but we don't know the future. Um, remember, there is nothing beyond this for the unbeliever, for life on the horizontal plane. But we know because of Jesus and because of other revelation from God, there is more than this. Solomon should have known that if he had been reading his Bible, then from the book of Genesis up until the book of around about Kings, which he would have had possession of, certainly had the law. The Psalms of his father David talks about this, the book of Job talks about this life beyond. He was from the wisest man in the world, but he was a bit of a spiritual dummy because he didn't read his Bible. Tried to live life on his own. Gets to the end of his life and he says, messed it up. Not the wisest thing to do, people. And that's why he writes Ecclesiastes. Well, he goes on to point out some other uh, things. In this, chap in this chapter particularly, he outlines a problem, verses 1 to 8, but he gives us a solution eventually at the end of it. It's really about close relationships or loneliness. He itemises for us uh, three particular problems. It's a bit like he's arguing with, he said, well, enjoy your work. That's what God's given you to do. Now, in this chapter, he's going to go to people who are working, but not in the correct way. So he's trying to clarify exactly what he means by commit yourself to working and working hard. Um, same heading again. Life is unfair. He talks about oppression. 
Again, I saw the tears of the oppressed and they had no comforter. The powers on the side of the oppressor. Some people work and they promote themselves. They become the boss, the leader, the king. And what do they do? They oppress their staff. They oppress those below them. There is oppression in this world and there is no comfort. It's um, an acknowledgement of reality, but it's a sadness. You know, it's the original golden rule. He who has the most gold rules. Happens in the world, happens in churches, happens in families, happens in careers. And there are tears. People get upset with the oppression and the unfairness and the injustice of what goes on in the world. That's reality. There is no cure to it. Except to bow the knees, submit yourself to God, trust him. Knowing that one day he will fix it. But it may not be in your lifetime. Life, he says, is competitive. Take a note of this. This is 3,000 years ago. I saw that all of the toil and all of the achievements, what's the motivation? Spring from one person's envy of another. Commit yourself to work, work hard, enjoy your work, but don't be motivated by ambition and by glory. People work to get things and they get things because they want others to admire the things that they've got. Envy. Envy motivating people. Personal, private. This is not talking about you know, economic competition because that's a healthy, productive thing. He's talking about this personal attitude of I'm going to outbuy, outclass, outmaneuver you to get ahead. It's the dog-eat-dog world. The reaction to that comes in verse 5. Some people rebel against all of that acquiring of stuff and promotion and oppressing others and they opt out. Verse 5, fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. They don't work. They live off what others provide for them. And the end result of that is laziness would lead to you ruining yourself. You use up all of your own resources and you'll be relying on others and eventually the Hebrew word is like they start to eat themselves. Laziness. Some people opt out. Oh, what do you do? Well, he says, verse 6, this is a good verse to memorise and to learn. Better is one handful the NIV says, with tranquility. Better is a one handful with stuff and another handful with peace. Shalom. Calmness. Be content with what you have and enjoy it, rather than having two hands grasping and trying to get more and more and more, but no peace. That's what he's saying. As he says several times through the book of Ecclesiastes. And then moving on quickly, he talks about compulsion. There's about this guy who's a workaholic, was a man who was all alone, had no sons, no brothers, no family, just himself. And there was no end to his toil. His eyes were not content with his wealth. He kept pushing himself and pushing himself. Why? For whom am I toiling, he asks, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? Solomon says, it's meaningless. You're wasting your life. That's not what I mean by work hard, enjoy your work, and so on. Not to that extent. That's not what God wants. So you can see that Solomon is bringing this correction to his statement. Well, what's the solution? He tells us in this passage, life in 9 to 12, life needs companions. I think I jumped over a bit. Um, he says life is competitive. I told you that. Life is lonely. Life needs companions. His premise is in verse 12. That's right. Sorry. Two are better than one. That's the basic premise. Verse 12 says, um, 
though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Begins in verse 9 with two are better than one. That's the premise, and you would have heard this spoken about probably at weddings. I've used this passage at weddings, and he gives four reasons for it. It's the premise that where the Bible actually begins, that it's the first time God says something is not good. Genesis 2.18, God is in the garden, he sees man, man is by himself. And God says that's not good. So God makes a companion, competence to assist him, a helper, um, an equal and competent other. And then in the evening, the cool of the day, when the breeze is blowing nicely, God comes and gives you an insight into God. God comes into the garden and he's walking through the garden looking for Adam and Eve after they sinned and he can't find them and you hear God calling out, where are you? Here is God, here is an insight. Here is God wanting to do what he created the human couple for. To relate with, to have fellowship with, to connect with, to spend time with, to hang out with. That's why we're here. God made us, God gave us life, and God wants us to know him personally. That's what God is like, to fellowship, to be with, to enjoy. Westminster Confession of Faith says, what is the chief, short of catechism, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. John Piper retranslates that or rephrases it. Purpose in life, glorify God by enjoying him forever, to relate to him and so on. He gives four reasons. Number one, there are mutual rewards for your labours because they have a good return for their labour. Number two, if either of them falls down, one can help the other one up. But it's difficult if you're alone to get up by yourself. And we know that. I know that increasingly, particularly as I get older. It's not impossible. It's just difficult. Well, eventually you get to a point, I'm sure, it becomes impossible. You can't do it. But with two, someone can help you. There is warmth. Um, and you think of the context of ancient Israel, and particularly travellers and travelling in the desert at night, when it got very cold, and what they would do is they would sleep close together. If you were travelling by yourself on a donkey, you would sleep close to your donkey to get warm. And so you can't keep warm by yourself. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about the marriage bed. But that's still certainly true, isn't it? You, if you have an argument and you go to bed, you don't cuddle. She won't apologise, and so then it's... What? Um... Well, it's her fault. Um, and so then you don't sleep well, you sleep cold and everything else. Uh, that may have been a twisting of reality, that's illustration, but you get the point. Um, and the fourth reason he gives is there is this mutual support. Not only do you keep warm, but uh, this defence of... If you get attacked, then one person can be overpowered, remember the Good Samaritan, but if there are two people, then they can defend themselves. And then he makes this marvellous statement that people try to explain in all sorts of ways, and I think it's appropriate, and I have explained it this way, that the threefold cord is, is quite... You take a brick and you hang one piece of string from it, or, or a weight, and hang one piece of string from it, after a while it'll break. Take two pieces of string, you'll double the weight. Take three pieces of string, you'll triple the weight. That makes sense. But if you take the three pieces of string and you twine them together, a threefold cord, like a rope, 
that's actually, you'll get more than triple the weight. Combining with others will help you to overcome life's difficulties. It doesn't say it can't be broken, it says it's not quickly broken. It gives you assistance. And my illustration, as many people have heard and others use, is um, God is the, into the marriage, husband, wife and God is the third part, the third strand. Some would say it's husband, wife and children. Children are the third strand. But it's not just in marriage, it's also in relationships. You can't do life alone. You need to be connected with others. And I think especially you need God in your life. Your relationship, connect with him, that's number one, that's the first priority. But then after that, add others, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Think of the triangle. Just to remind you again, God is at the top. You and the other person, husband and wife, if you like, are at the bottom. As you draw closer to God, you automatically draw closer to each other. That's what you need to do. Make sure you're right with God, and then spend time with your partner, your husband, your wife, and pray together, read God's word together, fellowship together, attend worship together, disciple the kids together if God blesses you with children. A threefold cord. It's not unbreakable, but it's not as easily broken. That's what God says. I said it in the beginning. Still true now. Separation is certainly easier than integration, and seclusion is easier than assimilation. But they're not better. Easier, but not better. God made us to associate together. Threefold court. We need God in our life. I left out a paragraph, and that's verses 13 to 16, which talks about basically he compares two kings. An older king who's been king for a long time and he's been doing it for so long now he doesn't need to listen to advice, he thinks he knows it all. And there is a young guy, a young king coming up. And he will eventually replace the old king. He's gone and the new one has come up. And whatever background, whether he came from prison or he was born at grassroots level or whatever, he has progressed to be a king and everybody follows the new guy. But eventually, they'll turn on him too. Because again, as you see, it starts with leadership and oppression at the beginning of this chapter and it ends the same way. That leaders at the top, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So for kings particularly, there is this temptation because they don't answer to anybody else. They're kings. They answer to God alone. And so they can be oppressive to others. And Solomon observes, and he's now the older king, by the way, who's on his way out. A young king is coming up, but he said in time, the next generation will do to him what they did to me. It just goes round and round and round. That's what life is like. So what does all of this mean for us? A couple of things. Um... We have said life is unfair, life is temporary, life is uncertain. We can't see the future, but God is leaving us in this life to reveal our hearts to us, our sinfulness, our viciousness, our animal instincts sometimes. And if it's there, that's what we have to face and deal with, asking for him for forgiveness and for his mercy. Life is like a jigsaw puzzle and we're one piece in it and it only makes sense when you see the whole picture. And the Bible gives us the outline, not the whole picture, a framework life is full of oppression and unfairness people can be motivated by envy and some people opt out with laziness some people are absolutely driven but the solution he gives us in this chapter is you need to connect up with others companions two are better than one don't do life alone and especially 
don't do life without God. The good news is, Solomon doesn't get to, but we see further ahead than what he did, God is at work and he's building a new humanity and he's doing that right now and he's doing it in the church. When we partner with Jesus, when we link up with him, when we become his companion, his friend, then he builds us into this new family that he is creating and that will one day be part of a new creation. The process starts now. The church for now has issues and warts and, you know, we're not perfect. But he is God, a God who is at work. And in one sense, Solomon is right. The dead are better off. The dead believer is better off. We know that. We know that because of Jesus. Our future is bright and certain. What do we do here and now until we get there? Well, we link ourselves with Christ. In the life we live now, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and who gave himself for us. And God is bringing people from all nations and all nationalities and all abilities and all personalities and he's bringing them together for us to work at being one. Not to try and figure it out by ourselves and to live life on this plane only, but to live life connected with God and looking up to God to work it out in this world. May God bless you in that endeavour. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you're a God who is at work, God who speaks the truth. And sometimes, Lord, it's stuff that we don't like to focus on and we don't want to hear, but it's important for us to hear the truth. We thank you that you're going to work it out, that even though there is injustice, injustice and unfairness in this world, it's limited, and you're going to call an end to it. We look forward to that day. Lord, deliver us from trying to grasp with both hands and possess everything in this life, but rather to be content with what you give us, to work hard and enjoy it, but also to have a handful of peace, to be content and to trust you. And thank you, Lord, that we don't have to live life alone. We want to connect with you because two were better than one. So we invite you to be not only part of our life, but Lord of our life. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen.